Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. It's Michael Nesmith on the Pantheon Podcast. History in Five Songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again, Martin Popoff here, back for another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are part of the vast and always growing Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Megaphone, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, this is going to be uh, episode 110, and I'm calling it You Had to Be There. I'll get to, I'll get to why in a minute. This is going to be a very difficult episode um, to put together because it is uh, it is very conceptual and abstract and philosophical, but we'll see if we could fumble our way through it. Um, but before we move on, I wanted to um, just uh, mention a couple of comments that came in through uh, through Facebook or email. I'm not sure where I got all these. I think these are all Facebook. Uh, a little bit on our last episode, which was best last songs ever. Um, Steve Ellis writes in, um, your last podcast got me thinking about some of my favorite last songs. I guess my favorite is Warren Zevon, Keep Me in Your Heart for a While. He knew he was dying of cancer, so as far as last songs go, it hit the mark. Uh, Johnny Cash doing We'll Meet Again is also poignant. Uh, the Eagles, It's Your World Now, sure feels like a swan song. I didn't check any of these, so I don't know. Technically, remember, I had a pretty uh, heavy definition of what last song meant. But anyways, Leonard Skinner, Ain't No Good Life, uh, The Cranberries, In the End. Uh, this one by Hank Williams caught my attention. I'll never get out of this world alive. I know it's not a rock song, but still seems like a prophecy. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, Song for the Asking. Um Technical note on one of your side picks, the Beatles' last recorded song is actually The End, which seems more appropriate since Abbey Road was the last recorded album. Let It Be was recorded six months earlier and released over a year after it was recorded. Keep up the great work. That was from Steve Ellis. Uh, Steve Bellow says, man, this was a great show. Of course, I had to interject with a couple of ideas uh, that may or may not work with the theme. Dear Father by Black Sabbath on their 13th album, Breaking Into Heaven by Heaven and Hell from Devil You Know. And maybe Night Prowler by ACDC as that was the last song with Bon Scott. Um, Mihai 
Fortuna writes in, for me, there is no endless river. Remember, I was talking a little bit about Pink Floyd. And thus, the last Pink Floyd song becomes High Hopes, and it fits better than anything on Endless River. And the last Doors song will forever remain Riders of the Storm. I know I, I was mentioning, uh, you know, Doors without Jim. They had the other two albums. Also, I've had the same exact thought uh, about the Untitled from Made in Heaven. I like to call it Freddie's Journey Through the Afterworld. Um Nice analysis I received via email on the last episode was, uh, right, uh, T in the Sahara, rowing, excellent job. Um, these should be in your top five instead of Bowie in the Garden. Don't get me wrong. I love Rush, but I think the Garden is overrated as a song because it's such a poignant concept. Um, Halo Effect is a much better song off of Clockwork Angels. Bowie, great artist, end of career. Uh, music unremarkable yeah he got a little uh, a little heck for that from some of the guys and voice badly degraded i didn't think so uh t in the sahara is an amazing piece of music that foreshadowed sting's solo career and the lyrics based on sheltering sky are evocative uh rowing with a different percussion treatment could easily have been on super unknown cornell's voice vocals are as wide-ranging and superb as at any point of his career and the lyrics are simultaneously uh, simple but brilliant of course you're way off haha and get back remember my high school journalism instructor in 86, telling me it was their greatest song. That's an exaggeration, but it is a great, great song. Listen to Eric Clapton's Lay Down Sally, then re-listen to Get Back. And how do you make the decision between Let It Be versus Abbey Road? Kind of like trying to name Hendrix's last song. Very true. Great topical episode. All right. Now, um, okay, so for this episode, I really have to uh, hold back on something here. I am calling this uh, You Had to Be There. Uh, I almost did this episode as... Uh, a combination of you had to be there and you didn't have to be there. And what I'm talking about here is this. Um, stay with me. This is a little bit weird, a little bit heavy. So um, so um, Pete, uh, Pete Pardo from Sea of Tranquility came up with this new concept. I'm going to be part of it. I thought it was kind of cool. Where um, one one of the party has to, has to pick an album that, um, you know, he just loves to death and, and says to the other person, you got to check this band out. You got to You got to check this out. I got to I got to teach you how genius this record is sort of thing. That's kind of the idea, like something you don't know anything about. And it, it's the guy trying to re really turn you on to some heavy music. Now, this has always been what was fun about my job writing these books or writing in magazines. That's that's why rock journalism is kind of a fun job. And it's for the same reason that being a DJ is a fun job, right? The whole idea is, is you're is you're trying to like, um, you know, turn someone on to some great music right um but the funny thing i've always had this thought in my mind and it's gonna definitely come up when when we start doing these uh these episodes of pete's new concept is this idea of you had to be there um meaning that you you got to step back a little bit and go uh you know something that you loved for years and years and years part of your dna um is it really going to uh, objectively be something that you can convince someone who wasn't there, who has no context, who just didn't care about the band at the time, whatever, um, will get into. So I, I was kind of thinking that there were, that there were situations where, let me get rid of this page here. We don't need that one anymore. Um, the situation where, um, there are actually bands where I feel like you had to be there um, and which means they aren't ones that I'm going to uh, that sensibly um, and keeping an open mind. I'm I, I'm realizing that there's no point trying to convince somebody about the greatness of certain things. And then there are other ones where you didn't have to be there. And I think I think what I'm going to try to do with this episode is 
uh, resist the temptation to bring up examples of bands where you didn't have to be there. Um, and I'm going to save that for another episode because I think that might even be more, more interesting than this episode. Um, but anyways, let's, I've got some different examples of ways that you had to be there, uh, and, and why I'm, you know, these are not the kinds of things I will, um, I will, uh, you know, be, be pushing on somebody else kind of thing. Um, okay. Let's start with this, with the first one. Uh, take a listen to this. This is the Brigands with Would I Still Be Her Big Man? Working at the factory Hoping that the boss is gonna announce it's me Sweating dust from nine to five To get the payments for the car I drive I wonder I wonder Would I still be a big all right, so there you've got some some old, you know, garage rock slash psych. And the the reason I wanted to bring up this example, so this is from the Nuggets box set. And I've I've got it here. I'm gonna read you a little bit about the brigands here and tell you why I'm reading you about the brigands. So um so uh in the in the liner notes, now these granted aren't the original Lenny K liner notes. These are the later liner notes written for the awesome, awesome box set, which in it was which is an expanded thing, and these are written by Mike Stacks. But he writes, um, uh, more than more than just a tough, catchy '60s punk tune. Would I still be her man? Tells a great story about a guy who busts his ass in a factory every day so he can buy his stuck-up girlfriend the things she wants. She wants the poor jerk's dilemma is that he's afraid she'll dump him if she ever finds out he's not really such a big shot. All in all. A pretty involved storyline for 2 minutes, 19 seconds. Toss in fuzz guitar, loud tambourines, and a brilliant John Lennon-ish vocal, and you've got a winner on your hands. Or so you'd think. However, Epic Records chose to stick this gem on the underside of a fatuous piece of Hermit's-styled goop, and the single, released in April 1966, promptly went nowhere. Other than a probable East Coast, maybe New York origin, nothing is known of the Brigands. But the song's writers and producers were Artie and Chris Resnick, also responsible for the Third Rail's Run, 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 elsewhere on this collection. A studio group? Question mark. My instincts tell me no. This just sounds too real. But what do I know? So the point here is that people of my generation, uh, you know, for us to, to to even remotely get into any of this old 60s garage stuff, we need the help of a great, uh, you know, a compilation. But but more so, this is all this this first example is all about liner notes. More so, we need these great liner notes to entice us into it and to get us into the story. It's just like in sports where, you know, before the big game, they, they put on those personal profiles of guys and all of a sudden you've bought into the whole thing, you know, that the guy came up poor or whatever and uh and you know his father died and here he is in the nfl and blah 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 that kind of stuff right um and so you've bought in the the exact same thing happens with this stuff so so you know as as per this episode which we're calling again you had to be there um i feel like uh it would be it would be crazy and almost like egotistical and you're not thinking outside the box and with an open mind to, to take some old 60s uh, psych or garage 
and and suggest to someone, oh, this stuff's out of this world. This is so great. You got to hear this. It's the exact same concept that caused Rush's feedback to be such a disaster. Like they're just picking songs from their youth that nobody in their fan base is really all that interested in and saying, oh, this is the greatest music of all time. Here's our cover of it. And they, they don't even do anything all that fancy with it, right? So the example here is that the Nuggets box set, when it came out, it was an innovative, cool box set. I think it was, what, 1972? Something like that. Um, and Lenny Kay wrote these liner notes, and, and it was like the stuff I read. But without without being prompted along by Lenny and his enthusiasm and his just raw information on, on these old 60s things, you know, you probably wouldn't have gotten into that music on its own. And and I'll just give you a case in point. Like this Nuggets box set was followed up by the Nuggets 2 box set. And I even bought some other uh, psych stuff. I, what's the other one called? There's another kind of four CD box set that I have, which is similar. And I, I just like sat down and like went through all these tracks and read the liner notes all in order. And it really gave you an appreciation for garage rock uh 65 66 67 and and it's and it's morphing into psych and you're hearing like you you read the notes and it points out like this one did the john lennon-ish vocal and you go oh wow that's that's interesting yeah it does sound a little bit like john lennon um so yeah the idea there is that this is uh you know old 60s psych anything you know super kind of rudimentary and simple like that you try play that for someone who wasn't there at the time um or, or, you know, someone three generations younger than the 1960s or whatever, like I'm even two generations younger of that music, whatever, right? Um, you're not going to be impressed with it. And that's, that's what great liner notes and box sets do. Like I always cite the example of, um, of the Who's Quadrophenia. Just reading along with that makes that album all that much more better. All right, let's move on. Uh, take a listen to this. This is our second track. This is Joe Eli with Lord of the Highway. All right, so I picked this example to represent almost not like you had to be there, but it's almost even more egotistical and self-centered. It's almost like if I was to try push Joe Eli on somebody, it's almost like you had to be me. Um, so the the idea here with this is Joe Eli is an, is an artist I played over and over and over again, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times, those first six albums in a row or whatever, right? But he's essentially a Tex-Mex new country twanger. Um, you know, he's, I, I, I loved him to death. I saw him live. It was amazing. Um, you know, and, and, you know, frankly, I, I hadn't kept up on all the latest albums. I noticed he, he kept making lots and lots more albums, but all these records he made from, I think it's around mid seventies, uh, all through the end of the eighties. I had all that stuff and played that stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. But, um, you know, is this, is this something where I would be so, so, um, you know, bold and bodacious to like, to like, uh, you know, push on somebody 
and say, oh man, Joe Eli, what a, what a genius. Oh, you got to hear this stuff. It's number one. It's, it's a, it's a kind of music that, that most people, um, I know wouldn't necessarily be into anyway. So I'm already pushing a kind of music on somebody, um, who, you know, that probably aren't going to appreciate it. But the other thing is, um, it's the kind of music that even at the time was made by lots and lots of other people. And then even post that, um, it's just a kind, you know, roots rock, country rock, whatever you want to call it, is made by tons and tons and tons of different different bands. And then and then in all the generations moving forward. So it's not like there's anything completely um completely uh, unique or remarkable about Joe Eli. It's just that I was super into Joe Eli and that's not enough reason to ever kind of push music on somebody. So there you go. Um, I get, you know, the, the theme here is randomness. It's just like Joe Eli is a random artist, I think is like a, a God, but uh, it, it does, I, I have to step back and feel that randomness and say, you know, s- somebody else isn't necessarily going to be into this. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of examples of bands like magazine might be a band like that a little bit. Like if I was to push magazine on somebody, they'd say, huh, this is weird. This is, this is ridiculous. I don't, I don't know why you're into this. Um, all right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. All right, back again here on history and five songs with Martin Popoff episode 110. You had to be there. You had to be there. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, okay, so let's take a take a listen to our next selection. This is the Vibrators with Petrol. All right, so I had to pick something to represent original punk, just as an umbrella idea, as a concept. Why? Because every time I go on Pete's show, you know, it, it's always one of these things we kind of joke about and kid about, and you see in the comments all the time, oh, Pete, Pete didn't grow up with punk. Oh, uh, Martin brings up the damned and the clash again or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to pick something to play, you guys, that was second string punk. I didn't even want to pick something that was amazing punk. The Vibrators are one of those bands, uh, loved their first album, loved their second album, then things sort of slowly start going downhill a little bit like UK subs. But, uh, you know, I was thinking I was going to play maybe London Calling because London Calling is one of these examples that gets talked about uh, a lot. And I've noticed this even with Jamie Laszlo, right? Uh, Jamie's a listener and he's on Pete's show and he, he watches Pete's show. Uh, but we had him on one of our Contrarians things, uh, one of our Patreon Contrarians things. And I think it was in that that, that London Calling might have come up. Um but but it was this idea that oh this is kind of like goofy they're joking around and stuff I don't get Clash Lennon calling and it's like you almost can't unhear that it's almost like the pink elephant right um, so so it's like that is that is also a version of you had to be there and I'm not gonna go into all the reasons why London calling was super important in '79 and blah 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 but I wanted to pick something that was just straight punk to just show that um, you know. Now that now that it's been 40 years since punk, over 40 years since punk, if you tried to play garden variety punk like Suicide Commandos or Eater or the Drones or the Vibrators or the Lurkers uh, for, for anybody, 
um, who who just just had zero interest in punk at the time, and now it's now it's forty years later, and you're trying to push punk on them. It ain't gonna stick. Um, you play this stuff, and it just sounds like rudimentary, goofy, you know, uh, simple. Um, not greatly recorded, bad singing, no guitar solos, all those things that people said about punk even at the time. If you were a prog person, you would put it down for that reason. Um, but I I really, it, it just seems like a losing cause to just push this idea of 1977, 1978 punk on anybody who wasn't there at the time, even if they're the right age to to have had punk being an adjacent thing to what they were they were growing up with and and it was a magical time for them that's a whole nother discussion that um that um i've seen people get into and i feel the same thing i'll just say a little bit about it i guess this idea that um you know i've been asked many times and i think i i answered this on the uh the questions and answers episode about about what new music are you into, right? I just read a really eloquent example, and I think it's on our History and Five Songs Facebook, where where guys were kind of answering that question. And one guy talked about how, um, basically what I said is that you could spend the whole rest of your life even just exploring bands that actually were around in your favorite golden period, be that the late 70s or the 80s or whatever, and do that forever for the rest of your life and not even get to new music. And, you know... You shouldn't put someone like that down. They're still listening to, you know, kind of brand new music or music that's that's new to them. They're not they're not stuck in their ways. They might be stuck in the times, but you know, uh, you could almost just uh, accuse a person who's listening. Oh, I'm listening to the latest stuff from last month. You could say they're stuck in last month and they're not listening. You know, the time they're the time they're spending with. 2020 um, is time not spent with 1985. So that's that's the same thing as well. Um, so I wanted to pick this. And also I wanted to uh, mention sort of the idea of punk being abstract art versus realism, right? So there's this idea that that um, true real music um, is is complicated, well-recorded music, and, and, and you would have a point. Um, so prog is realism and punk is abstract art. But again, you know, I think of this idea of... Um, or think of contemporary art. Say, say there was like a uh, like a you know a whole room in an art gallery dedicated to some famous artist, and all they did is like poured a bag of cement in the middle of the of the uh, floor, and then and then the empty bag of cement is put there, and that and that's the piece, right? Takes up a whole. That's I, I, I say takes up a whole room because that's one of my complaints with contemporary art uh, and contemporary art galleries. Uh, you, you go there and some of these things are so huge that there's just not enough to look at by the time you're finished with your visit. Anyway, so that's a whole nother thing. Um, but the point is, is that you look at that, you take one glance, glance, you're disgusted and you leave the room. It's like, well, what if, what if that guy had spent 30 years painting realism of dumped out bags of concrete uh and what if what if uh you know what if uh, he had a traumatic experience with concrete when he was a kid or something and lost his arm in a concrete you know a, a accident or something but but you know has or or has done films about this for years and years and years and this is his this is his final next stage of all this and it's like then you go okay well i've read the backstory it's it's a little more interesting and so i feel like this punk thing that i did is almost the same thing a generation later that lenny k was doing with nuggets you could go back and read all about the vibrators or the lurkers or whatever and and slowly be uh, into it a little more because of it all right let's move on uh this is our next 
next example, take a listen to this. This is Iron Maiden with Hallowed Be Thy Name. All right, so I wanted to pick this one as an example of uh, another kind of deep, weird concept about this. It's like if you were 25 years old or 30 years old and your first Iron Maiden album was Brave New World and you got into Dance of Death and Matter of Life and Death, um, and then you were forced to go back to listen to Hallowed Be Thy Name. Now, I now I actually on purpose picked a provocative example because Hallowed Be Thy Name is often considered the greatest Iron Maiden song of all time. But... That young kid, that 25-year-old or 30-year-old that that got the new albums first and then was, you know, older fans said, oh, you got to go back and hear the real stuff, the real, the classic stuff, right? That kid might say, ah, I just heard Hallowed Be Thy Name. You know what? I've already got five songs that Maiden have done that are similar to this that are better. Um, so I, I'm not really getting into this old thing. It sounds pretty conservative and the recording isn't great. Those twin leads, you know, uh, I've heard way better permutations of that now off of these new albums. And he wouldn't be wrong, right? I mean, Bruce is probably a better lyricist or Bruce and Steve, whoever wrote Hallowed Be The Name, is a better lyricist now than they were then and saying better things. Productions are probably better now. Well, this, that's a whole new can of worms with Iron Maiden. Um, but my point is, I wanted to pick this as an example. Um, and, and it's not the best example, because the best examples are bands like Motorhead and Saxon and Accept in certain ways. Um, Accept and Saxon have this other kind of slight problem with it, um, that when you hear their modern stuff, it's so well put together and so efficient. And then you go back and listen to Strong Arm of the Law, for example, or, or you know, uh, Chick with Chainsaw, except the the second except album. Um, sorry, the first except album. Um, if you if you go back and listen to that stuff, it can definitely sound super super rudimentary. So here we are with uh, with um, the the way this relates to you had to be there. Okay, so I'm I'm, I'm getting back to this. Let's pick Saxon for example. Um, Saxon, you know. The, the deep Saxon fans, the longtime Saxon fans will, will never say that the latest Saxon album, whatever it is, Lionheart or, or any of these new ones, right? Um, objectively, they sound better than the old stuff. But the you had to be there thing is like, is like no, the, the old stuff is the classic stuff because they they were new and exciting and it was the new wave of British heavy metal and no one else was doing music like this and there, it was this cool biker rock and they were you know they were at the top of the heap at least in Britain same kind of argument with Motorhead only Motorhead's a little different than the Saxon except example because they they stuck closer to their sound but you know as I've often said, Lemmy always said that if you go back and listen to the rope, the, the old stuff, it sounds a little ropey. That was ex his exact quote to me. It sounds ropey compared to what we're doing now. And I truly believe that. I get more out of the new Motorhead than I do out of the old Motorhead. But every fan who loves that old stuff, their argument is 
you had to be there. It's because at the time it was an exciting thing and it was new and you have to give stuff like that credit, but it is a little bit like, um, so, so the way this relates is that, is that, um, if I, if I were to, it relates in two ways. If I were to go to a motorhead fan who, who is young and grew up with the new albums and said, Oh, listen to Capricorn, man, listen to Metropolis. Um, you know, for the first time they'd say, that sounds horrible. That sounds like demo versions of the motorhead. I love off of, off of the like, hammered or, or whatever, a motorizer, right? That, so, so that's the idea there. And the same thing with Iron Maiden. Uh, like I say, I wanted to pick one that's a really provocative example, but I think it, it actually works better with motorhead. Now, the other way this works is forget forget it's even a Motorhead fan. What if, what if I just went and and played Motorhead for for somebody who didn't know Motorhead at all, and I actually picked something from from uh, from Bomber or Overkill or even Ace of Spades, for example, and said, "Listen to this. This is the greatest stuff." It ain't gonna sound great to them because they've they've heard heavy metal now for many many years later. I got to stop there because my next example is is starting to overlap with this example. Um, so let's move on to our last example here in History in Five Songs uh, with You Had to Be There. This is Highway Child with Going Blind. All right, so this is even more so this idea, um, and now and now we're talking about an entire genre, which is what I was just getting at. I love to death this 1983 Highway Child album, Storybook Heroes, from start to finish. They're like the dangerous, most awesome version of High and Dry era Def Leppard. Another band like this is Heavy Petten, but Heavy Petten wasn't half the band Highway Child was. But I wanted to pick this example for another reason. So. Number one, if you if you hear that, you'll say, "Wow, that production's a little raw," or, or it's actually really good, but it but it's a little raw and overcooked, and almost a little into the red line. Um, you know that that's that sounds really kind of old, right? Well, they followed this up with with the for the wild and lonely EP. It had six tracks on it, and I even love it more than Storybook Heroes. But again, it's a little bit you had to be there for that for a couple of reasons. Number one. It's it's even a little mellower than than um, than Storybook Heroes, but they actually use electronic drums on the album, and um, and I love the electronic drum sound of that EP and and everything about it. It just all fits together really well. But a little bit of you had to be there is is um, electronic drums were actually fresh at one time. They weren't hammered to death. Um, they don't. They didn't sound dated at the time. They sounded new and fresh. So, so it's like if you were there at the time. Sometimes electronic drums was like, wow, that's really cool. I mean, we know that you know Blue Oyster Cult used uh, electronic drums on Revolution by Night. We think of David Bowie moving from Scary Monsters into Let's Dance, and Let's Dance was well received. But it's so 80s and dated. But at the time, again, it's a you had to be there. It was crazy exciting at the time. So I wanted to pick Highway Child. I uh, I almost picked. Um, witch find and played stage fright uh, so any of this old metal stuff again it's a little bit like um you know 
and and we all do this as as old metalheads. We always try to push classic old metal from the 80s or 70s on people. But this is more of an umbrella thing where I could pick any of that old new wave of British heavy metal stuff or Frostcore stuff like Highway Child or, or any of this kind of, you know, any old classic metal. Uh, you know, we didn't even go 70s with this. We went 80s. I could play that this for for someone who's 25 or 30 years old who has grown up on the entire following years and decades of heavy metal history including like not even I'm not even talking new metal and thrash and death and black metal including including you know dozens and dozens of bands who are biting on Highway Child and biting on uh, the new wave of British heavy metal and and even redoing that whole thing. There's whole genres of bands who are redoing the new wave of British heavy metal sound. So the funny thing, what happens is uh, you can have someone who's been listening to tons of those bands, but the original new wave of British heavy metal is not going to sound too impressive to them. But our our um, our um, you know argument to them is. You had to be there. It was here are the reasons it's important in context uh, and read about it and, and read some liner notes and maybe you'll get into it. But not necessarily on face value is it um, is it completely uh, going to impress them. So that was the whole that was the whole point of this episode. Uh, finding a bunch of things that we think are going to impress people, but just may not because um they are a little bit of their time and they and they have you know important importance for uh, you know a half dozen reasons because they are of their time or whatever um or or they have certain even production things that are of their time that actually make them cool but not great at the same time so yeah the whole thing the whole thing with all these examples is these are not examples you would pick for somebody if you stood back and had an open mind and thought about it for a minute, uh, because possibly in various ways, these are only great uh, by saying you had to be there. There you go. So that's the episode. Hey, I managed to get through the whole thing um, without talking about you didn't have to be there bands. And that's going to be probably the next episode because that's the flip side of this whole thing. All right. So there you go. Um, if you like this show and want to support future episodes, again, you can go to Kofi.com uh, and uh, and yeah, you, you hit the red support button, you buy me a pint, you know, it's a $3 thing. Some people do three and six and nine and multiples of it or whatever, um, but it's really cool having having a few people show up every week and to do that and it really helps me with uh, with making me feel like this is a real job. Um, so that's over at Kofi.com slash Martin Popoff. This week, I'd like to thank Black Sugar Transmission, Andy, Bruce Campbell, Dave Fisher, uh, Justin Frank, Michael Gendelman, Paul Honey, Jamie Laszlo. I was expecting to see uh, Wise Swami Jamie over at our, uh, uh, actually it was just last night, wasn't it? Uh, our um, Contrarians Patreon get together where we looked at paired albums. I think I might have done a whole episode on that. Um, maybe not, but I'm, I might if I haven't. Um, but that was a neat discussion where we talked about, you know, albums that go together as a pair uh, within bands and even across bands. A, a Reed Little uh, brought in uh, an example of an across band one, which was kind of cool. Blackfoot Siogo with um, Yurahip Abominog. And Reed Little is, uh, is, was also a contributor this week. Thank you, Reed. Uh, but Kevin Latham, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, uh, I mentioned Paul Honey, right? Uh, and Steve Polari. So there you go. Um, 
Wow, I've talked a long time on this one. I was a little worried I wouldn't be able to articulate all this. Probably was a little babbling, wasn't it? Um, anyways, martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Um, and uh, yeah, I just got in um, Rush album by album, believe it or not. I've got 10 copies of that to sell. Uh, that's the publisher that has closed down their music book division. So that was really cool getting that uh, that in. So if you want Rush album by album, this is your chance to get it. It's been out of print many times. Um, but yeah, I, I guess they've they've got it uh, currently in print for a short time. Rush Illustrated History is long gone, and that's now a collectible book. But Rush album by album, just hit me up and I'll, I'll sort you out for that. Actually, I think I've got it on the website showing as available right now um so you could even just go to the website thanks very much uh go play some of these records wow that was an eclectic choice right um you know what i want you to go play for your homework out of all this go play highway child storybook heroes and go play the for the wild and lonely ep amazing amazing stuff but i'm not going to push it on you because you had to be there Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.